What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box College Football Edition. I'm your host, Reed Wallach, joined by the great Cody Williams. You can follow him on Twitter at TheSizzle20. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach. We're going to get you set for the entire Week 7 slate. we got a bunch of picks we want to give out. And we got a recap. Cody, pretty crazy week. That was week six. We had Red River get wild. We had USC keep me up until 3 a.m. on the East Coast watching live. We had Alabama stay in the mix for the college football playoff. Maybe they're back one of their toughest tests. They've passed that now. A lot to get to. Cody, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, man. You know, licking my wounds a little bit. Uh, I had a rough week. Uh, lost a lot of bets last week. But, you know, we'll, we'll bounce back. And at least it was good football, you know. The worst thing is losing bets when you're watching bad football. I, to be determined. I don't. I don't know about that. Sometimes, like at least, like you could laugh it off or something. But uh, yeah, it was. I wouldn't even say it was the highest quality of football last week because of some of the decision making that was going on across the entire country. But it was. It was most certainly a, a very impactful one on the college football playoff picture, and I'm pumped to get into that with you. And hey, listen, we get back on the horse. We said it last week. We're, it all what goes around comes around. We, you know, we're going to turn this around. We got we're about like halfway through the season. We got some work to do, but that's why that's why we wake up in the morning. We get to work and we go through these games is so we could get better and we could you know turn our records around. But if you want free bets and you want free credits, you want free opportunity and make some money over on DraftKings Sportsbook, then you got to check out this promotion that they're running in partnership with Stacking the Box. New users, if you sign up for DraftKings with the promo code STB, stands for Stacking the Box, you get $200 instantly in bonus bets, and you also get a no-sweat single-game parlay every single day. And just absolutely ludicrous promotion mm-hmm. from DraftKings. Big shout-out to them. Again, use the promo code at sign-up STB, and again, that is 
if you bet $5 on your first bet, you instantly get $200 in bonus bets. And you will also get separate, no sweat, single game parlays every single day when you opt in. So again, just use that code STB and you'd be helping out this great podcast. So why wouldn't you? Hopefully uh, we can make you some money this week and you could use some of our analysis to go make some insightful wagers. This offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms to, to this offer and to see if you qualify. Again, that's code STB. If you're watching on the YouTube stream, you'll see the code in the bottom right. Again, that's c- promo code STB. Cody, just going to lay it out for you. Biggest takeaway from week six was? Oklahoma's for real, man. Like I, I was all over Texas in that game because I seriously doubted Oklahoma and I, they hadn't played a high level of competition. They'd, you know, messed around in a couple spots, you know, only beating Cincinnati on the road by 14, only scoring 20 points in that game. And they proved me wrong. I think I never doubted fully Dylan Gabriel. I may have doubted his ceiling a little bit and he showed up in the biggest way possible. That was the best game I've ever seen Dylan Gabriel play. But I think what really I took away from was, uh, from the Sooners in that game was their defensive front was getting after it. Like that, their defensive front controlled a lot of that game, really limited what Texas was able to do in the run game. And I didn't think that Oklahoma had that. I know Brent Venables is a fantastic defensive coach. He proved that at Clemson. But based on what we saw last year, based on the up and down results early in this season, I wasn't sure that they could do it at the on the biggest stage against top tier competition. And they sh- they surely did it. Yeah, I, I think Oklahoma full credit to them for winning the game, but I I still think Texas is better. I don't I, I absolutely I I underrated Oklahoma and the level they could get to, but I will say though that the team got ahead early. The team had a goal line stand at the one yard line, four straight stops by Texas. I think Texas kind of shot themselves in the foot a lot more than Oklahoma. And not to say like Oklahoma. Texas lost this game more than Oklahoma won it. It's more that to me, if Oklahoma is going to now make the college football playoff and they're going to run the table because we could go through their schedule and it's so easy. And we had discussed this before the game that this was so important to the both teams, college football players, because playoff hopes because the big 12 looks so easy. Mm-hmm. Like if Oklahoma was to make the college football playoff, I think they'd get smoked by Georgia or Michigan, assuming they oh, probably yeah, played, absolutely. like they probably play, those are the top two seeds. Whereas Texas, I think, has a better chance of competing with those teams. So I still think Texas ceiling's higher. I think Texas played a pretty poor game relative to their standards or what you should expect from them in a game like that. But that being said, Oklahoma did what they had to do. And I thought that the offense, especially Dylan Gabriel, made a ton of plays that I wasn't sure he was going to be able to do, mainly with his legs. Rush for over 100 yards yeah. in that game. Oklahoma's ground game, if I'm not mistaken, let me pull up the box score real quick. Yeah, I mean, um, two starting running backs, Walker and Major combined, 24 carries for 73 yards. Like, that is a, a incredibly low mark. But Dylan Gabriel, 13 carries, 114 yards, and a touchdown. So Dylan Gabriel made a lot of plays happen with his legs, which was needed. I mean, big yeah. game, need, quarterback sometimes to take off. And so shout-out to Dylan Gabriel. Definitely uh, deserves that one. And we'll see Oklahoma now inside track to running the table, definitely getting to the Big 12 Championship. Texas can't slip up now. We yeah. assume to a one-loss Texas, if they were to get Oklahoma back, would probably make the college football playoff, but um, margin for error is now essentially zero. Uh, a team that overcame 
a road test. Texas wasn't on the road, but uh, away from home and right. kept their college football playoff hopes alive. Alabama. Mm. We had spoken about this game last week. I like Texas A&M in the game because I questioned if Jalen Milrow was going to be able to really succeed in the obvious passing situations. And he did. I mean, oh, yeah. best game of Jalen Milrow's career, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely teed off on the Texas A&M secondary. I mean, my initial thought was correct because Alabama couldn't run the ball. I think they finished with like sub 30 total rushing yards sat when you account for sacks, but yeah. there are just too many deep shots and just mind boggling decision-making again from Jimbo Fisher. I mean, I was watching the game and before halftime, uh, A&M stops Alabama at like the around midfield, you know, 40 mm-hmm. yard line, either side, about a minute and a half left Texas A&M at two timeouts. Nope. Didn't feel like trying yeah. to get the ball back. I'm trying to score again, another three points. Uh, punts in plus territory, kicks a field goal plus territory. I mean, I kind of see what you're doing at the end of the game where they kick a field goal at the two-yard line because it's fourth down. If you don't get it, the game is literally over. But if you kick a field goal, it extends the game. But, like, you're at the two-yard line. You Mm -hmm. don't think, like, you should probably try and, like, when you're – like, if you're at, like, the 17 or something and you're, like, getting to that point where it's like, all right, we need to, like, score – we need to score soon and get the stop so we have enough time for the next possession, hopefully – I see that, but like you're at the two yard line, like you don't want to try and score and put some pressure on yeah. them. And like, cause the odds are you're probably not getting back down there, which you're going to need to get back down there to win the game. So, uh, but tax A&M, it was a team I was high on going into the year. And I mean, that's the difference between Alabama and Texas A&M right there. Uh, coaching decisions, poor management, um, clock management, game management. So yeah. So, uh, Cody, what were some of your takeaways that I kind of gave like a kind of bag on top Texas A&M there, but what do you think about Alabama? Are you starting to believe in them that they can maybe make a run to the college football playoff? Um, it's hard for me to still get there. It really is. Like, like you said, that's the best game we've seen Jalen Milrow play and sure. like all the credit in the world to him. Cause you know, I think coming into the game, you and I both expected uh, Texas A&M's defensive front to, maybe caused some problems for him given what we saw Texas do in that earlier game this season. And mm-hmm. he handled it well. He, you know, uh, Jermaine Burton had a career day, was I, wide open. Monster game. Secondary. Oh, yeah. And um, I just think that Texas A&M, I think one of my big takeaways was there's a bigger discrepancy between Connor Wegman and Max Johnson than we may have realized. I think if Connor Wegman plays in that game, Texas A&M is a lot more live to actually take, take down Alabama just because I think Max Johnson's decision-making and holding onto the ball a little long, uh, the mm-hmm. offense was kind of catered to him to like put him in deep drops so receivers could get open, whereas Wegman has a little more mobility to make like kind of allow that to happen in structure or out of structure. And I think that Alabama has the potential to get caught by a team like LSU. And I understand that LSU – I'm not high on LSU, but the one thing I know about LSU and Jaden Daniels is that team can score on anyone. Yeah. That offense is foolproof. And if you get this Alabama team in a shootout situation, I'm not sure I still trust Jalen Milrow to keep up and keep the, keep the pace in that type of situation. So I'm still circling that LSU game as one to watch. And with the ups and downs that we've seen from Milrow, with the you know inconsistent line play, with the run game not really being reliable for Alabama – Who's to say that a team like Auburn in, you know, in Auburn, in the Iron Bowl, where things always get crazy, who's to say that they can't, you know, knock off Alabama in that game? Who's to say that, I don't know, Kentucky get not, uh, might give them trouble? Like, there's there's slip-up potential stuff for this team when there's no room for error for them to make the playoff. 
Yeah, it's that's a good point. Uh, what you said about like the there's no room or there's less room for error with these teams where in you know prior years, more recent years, even where you have like Bryce Young or even Mac Jones and those teams, yeah, a turnover goes against them. Like Bama knows they're gonna get it back the other on like the next drive, they'll just get the points back or something. You know, obviously you don't want a pick six or like a short field for the opponent, but it feels like Alabama they play Ole Miss defensive effort. They really need to grind that one through. They win 24, 10 AM. They win 26, 20 really need a lot of sacks. They need the safety. They need a lot of, uh, you know, stops in like the green zone inside the 40. Um, I mean, Texas gets the 34 kind of puts them out of reach. I don't really count Mississippi state. I don't think Arkansas is going to be this version of Arkansas. Won't give them a lot of trouble. No. Tennessee. I don't really trust Tennessee's offense right now to go, to Brian Denny Stadium and give him trouble. But like that game was in Knoxville. Maybe this is a different conversation where that offense can maybe hum a little bit more. You mentioned LSU. I completely agree with you. They can maybe get to an offensive ceiling that Alabama just can't get to this year. Exactly. This, this yeah. team has a very defined set of circumstances that could win football games in. And I think that showed last week as well. That being said, if we're like projecting out the rest of the season, Let's say Alabama gets to the SEC championship game and is playing an undefeated Georgia team. This Georgia offense, we yeah. said this before the season, that this offense might actually have a higher ceiling despite the new play caller, despite losing sets in Bennett. Carson Beck has a big arm, and some of these receivers are starting to really get going here. It's Rosemi uh, Jackson. It's Brock Bowers. All these guys starting to get going. This offense looking a lot more vertical, and they just absolutely – pumped Kentucky pasted them pasted yeah I I'm starting to think though because like Alabama can't get there without winning the SEC championship you start to figure in that matchup I wonder if Alabama the matchup is even there for Alabama to beat Georgia so just something to keep in mind before we get to picks for this week one more game I wanted to mention because it was easily the most chaotic and I'm still catching up on sleep (laughs) because of it USC Arizona boy did I want Arizona to win that game Oh, like I, I, did. I have like a really weird relationship with this USC team because I love Caleb Williams. I think he's unbelievable and is like at box office, got to watch him. But this USC team pisses me off to no end because I still don't think they're that good. I think it's a one-man show and the defense is still terrible. And like I'm watching this game and I I'm forget that I had Arizona plus 21. That game, that was, that bet was done. Oh, yeah. Early that game was you catch that in the first quarter, yeah. Basically, I wanted Arizona to win though because USC didn't deserve that game. At at no point did USC was it like, oh, Arizona's playing like so out of their mind that, like, yeah, tip your cap. No, Arizona was like the far better team in that game. It was very few swing. First of all, they built a 17 0 lead, but a few swing plays throughout the game really turned this game in USC's favor, mainly because they have the Heisman Trophy winner, but um. You know, just an absolutely chaotic game. Triple overtime. Uh, yeah. Caleb William needs an insane two-point conversion to win the game. And Arizona, again, theme, bad coaching. Uh, oh, Jed yeah. Fish, the Arizona head coach, didn't know the overtime rules. That was apparent. And basically ran out of plays because their answer to a staggered line where Caleb Williams basically takes a cornerback one-on-one like it's a basketball game and says, I'm getting into the end zone, whether you uh, like it or not. I'm better uh, than you. Watch this. I'm, yeah, I'm about to just tiptoe the sideline here. Arizona comes back on the other side of the field and runs just like a sweep, like just uh-huh. like a pulling guard sweep, gets loses six yards. The game obviously ends there. 
So great game. But Cody, any thoughts on that game? Any thoughts on USC in general? That open season here before we get uh, onto the week seven picks. So I may be, you know, two hours behind you in the mountain time zone, but I'm still catching up on sleep from that one too, man. That kept everyone <laughs> up. It didn't matter what coach you were on, you know. Um, but no, I the USC defense or the USC as a whole, it, it's frustrating to me. I I'm kind of in the same boat as you, like. I want this team to be better, but without Caleb Williams, they're probably a seven and five, six and six team. Let's be oh, honest. Yeah. About it. Oh, and, yeah. And, but I think the one thing that makes me hesitant to completely write them off, I'm, I still don't believe in them as a playoff contender necessarily, but write them off in terms of like being like a one loss, two loss team, even with this defense, is despite Caleb Williams being like superhuman, I've watched. I mean, they've been on in a lot of like singular spots, so I've been able to get a lot, a lot of eyes on USC this season. The offense looks the same every single time, and that's not something we're necessarily used to seeing from Lincoln Riley. And with the way their schedule is set up, with so, with it so backloaded with all their like top tier opponents starting this week with Notre Dame, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's like keeping some bullets in the chamber, you know, keeping some wrinkles to their offense that could be coming for this higher tier competition. Try not to, you know put too much on film. And so I wonder if this offense has the opportunity to level up. That's still not going to ne- entirely negate how bad this defense is playing. Like this defense has flashed like maybe like half a quarter or a quarter of good play, but four quarters together, not even close. And, but I do wonder if this offense has still has the opportunity to level up. I agree with you, but like, I would be absolutely shocked. If USC made the college, like I would probably eat a shit. Oh, yeah. If USC made, like, just the defense too bad. I mean, forget, I mean, if they lose this week, that's obviously over. But I mean, they're 110th in tackling grade. They're outside the top 100 in EPA per rush. And the offense is obviously top five, top 10, but like that doesn't work week after week. It just, you, you got to be somewhat balanced. And I mean, you're talking about backload schedule at Notre Dame. They got Utah, which seems like that's going to be a little bit easier than you would think before the season at Cal. Then you host Washington at Oregon back to back. They're going to lose at least one of those. They just are. That's just how the sport. Oh works. yeah. And then That's you get UCLA. 12. And then you get the UCLA, UCLA game to close out the season. UCLA's defense might have the best. It might be the best defense in the Pac-12 this year. They're absolutely filthy. So oh, yeah. they're going to get tripped up at least once, probably twice. And if they make the Pac-12 championship game, I that's a whole nother game they have to get through. So to me, this USC team is fun to watch. They're exciting. They have the best player in the sport on their team. But that's all they are. They are not like a serious contender. They are not like uh, to quote the late great Logan Roy. They're not serious people. Right? No, I mean, I'm like I said, I'm with you. I don't think they're a playoff contender, but I think they're like with how poorly this defense has played with them. Like, as you mentioned, like probably should have lost that Arizona game. There's a case to be made like that. They might not be a New Year's six team. And that's where that's why I bring up the point about the offense potentially yeah. leveling up because I still think there's potential for that, even if I don't think they're a playoff contender. 100%. You ready to do some picture this week? Get back on track? i definitely ready to get back on track. It's I, only place to go is up. All right, let's do it. We will start our week seven picks. But first, let me tell you again about this awesome DraftKings promotion. If you sign up for DraftKings today, use the promo code STB, which stands for stack in the box. You will get in bonus bets instantly on your first $5 wager. So again, bet $5, get 200 in bonus bets. And then you will also get each day, no sweat, single game parlays. So again, you will get your single game parlays matched um, 
upon deposit sign up and $200 in bonus bets. So really crazy promo there from our partners, DraftKings. And if you use the code STB, you are supporting the podcast. So please do that. All right, let's do some picks here. We did a lot last week. We're doing less picks this week. Uh, We'll see if that's to our benefit or not. Last week was solid for me, five and three. Bounce back, Cody. We got some work to do, one and seven. But, hey, only only one way to go. Only one way to go. So um, let's see. Let's start early week. We got a handful of Thursday and Friday games to choose from. We have Thursday night. We have SMU traveling to East Carolina and AAC play. West Virginia plays at Houston, two Big 12 teams off of a bye. And then Friday night, Tulane goes to Memphis. That game should be, I think, sneaky banger there. Stanford plays at Colorado. And Fresno State plays at Utah State. So five games to choose from. Cody, where are you looking? I'm going to that last game on the slate. And it's a weird pick, but I promise I have some reasoning behind it. I'm going Utah State second half plus three and a half. So taking the dog in the second half against the spread at home. So – Shout out to Chip Patterson of the Cover 3 podcast on CBS Sports for pointing this out. Uh, Utah State has been an absolute wagon in the second half. They're actually 6-0 and straight up in the second half this season, despite being 3-3 three and three on the year overall. And that includes, like, the three best, the three losses. Like, in Iowa in the opener, they won the second half 11-7. Against Air Force, which they lost pretty handily, they uh, won the second half 14-7. James Madison, who they lost to, they actually won the second half 21-7. And on top of that, you can see that in the offense. Uh, quarterback Cooper Lagasse in the first half has a 61.3% completion rate with three touchdowns and four picks. In the second half, 78.4% completion rate with seven TDs and no interceptions. Head coach Blake Anderson has been making halftime adjustments better mm-hmm. than anyone in the country this season. And I think Fresno State's probably the better team, but they also have a quarterback injury that's a little uncertain right now with Mikey Keene, the UCF transfer. And I think that Utah State is just good is with the way they've adjusted in the second half. I think they're live to do it again and getting three and a half points. I'm willing to take that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting look. And I, you know, I, I respect the homework being done there. That's like that's like a sound handicap there. It also makes sense. Teams a dog teams expected mm-hmm. to lose. Utah State's been getting kind of smacked around in the first half. And when teams are letting up their guard, they are Utah State keeps pushing. So yep. It's not like you're taking a team, you know, Utah State, they're winning outright in these games, but they're typically underdogs in almost every single one of them. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. UConn, they beat, they were dogs last week against Colorado State. So it's a team that in catch-up mode, they're pretty effective. And like you said, Blake Anderson's making adjustments. So even if they are getting smoked in the first half, you're probably saying to yourself like, oh, we're taking a second second half bet on a team that's a five-point underdog. Even in a negative game script, this team is kind of thriving. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I don't, I'm not asking Utah state to win the game. I'm asking them, you know, after they're already down two, three scores in the first half, like to come out and just keep it close in the second half. Yeah. And uh update on Mikey Keene. He's no, he was spotted in a walking boot at Fresno practice. Mm-hmm. So if he wouldn't go, it would be Logan Fife who played, I want to say it was four games last year. So he has a little bit of experience, but uh, a, a, a tangible drop off, I would call it. Oh, like yeah, it's a not nothing drop off. Not that it's like massive and Fresno State's cooked or something, but it's a little bit of a drop off for sure. So something to monitor. So I, I like that pick there. I'm going to stick on Friday night. Uh, give me Stanford plus 11 against Colorado. Faded Dion last week and it worked. Uh, Colorado probably should have lost that game to Arizona State. Outgained by nearly 200 yards by the Sun yeah. Devils, pretty much a corpse of a Sun Devils team. Coming back home, they're playing their seventh game in a row. And I mean, 
the seven games have been well documented between the TCU game, Nebraska, the Colorado State game on a Saturday night. They then play Oregon and USC, two high profile games. And then you see Arizona State, you start to see like a level drop there. I think this Colorado team is starting to run out of gas a little bit. And it's going to show against a Stanford team that's coming off of a bye with a first year head coach, a strong offensive minded head coach in Troy Taylor. Go back to week one where I know it's Hawaii, but Stanford came in, trick plays, wide receiver passes, you know, double passes, reverses. So like Troy Taylor with extra prep, I think is going to call a really strong game. And I think this Colorado team is really running on fumes. We've spoken about their depth issues in the uh, over the course of the season. And I think you're starting to see it with injuries. Travis Hunter maybe back doesn't really move me. This Colorado team outside the top 100 net yards per play. So this Colorado team has been getting pushed around in the box. Oh, yeah. I think Stanford could keep this one competitive. I won't I won't go for the outright upset, but I think Stanford, you know, getting double digits here for sure. Sign me up. I, I think Stanford could be frisky here uh, as an underdog. Um, I'm 100% with you, and my handicap is a lot simpler this game. Colorado doesn't deserve to be favored by double digits against anyone. I agree. I agree. Where's this number coming from? <laughs> right, like I, Stanford is not a good football team, but like on a grand scale, like Colorado is not a great football team either. Like they're going to be fighting for bowl eligibility. This isn't, you know, the team that we saw. This is all hype, and I, I just don't, I don't see a double digit victory coming for the Buffs in this game. Like especially with the offense that Stanford has been able to piece together, even though, you know, I'm not really sold on the talent level of the Cardinal, but at the same time, like I'm definitely not sold on the Colorado defense. I think anyone can score on them with a competent offensive scheme. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm pulling the box where here, Arizona five yards per play, Colorado 4.1 yards per play. I mean, Arizona in the box where really uh, took it to Colorado. So I, I like Stanford quite a bit here on Friday night. Let's keep it moving that. Let's see. We are going to go bring back up our favorite total bet of the week. Cody, where are you looking? Uh, I'm going to the Illinois-Maryland game. And uh, Illinois burned me last week, taking it over with one of the worst second-half performances from two teams I've ever seen with them in Nebraska. My God, that was just a comedy of errors. Now, that's but, ugly football we were talking about earlier. That's that's where you're pissed that you have a wager on the game. Especially when it's the over and you're like, <laughs> have these teams ever touched a football before? My God. <laughs> But I'm going back to it. I'm going over in this one. Uh, full disclosure, I expect the Terps to do a lot of the heavy lifting to get to this number. Uh, that offense is top 25 in EPA per rush and EPA per pass this season. And Illinois' defense has dropped off so dramatically. They're outside the top 70 defensively in EPA against both the run and pass. So I think Talia Tagovailoa and this Maryland offense are going to have a lot of success against Illinois. But I also think that plays more to the over because we've heard Brett Belimo talk recently about him wanting to – he's kind of insinuated that he wants to get back to running the ball more, that the Luke Altmaier, Aaron and out offense isn't necessarily working. But with how mm-hmm. bad this Illinois defense is, I don't think they really have an option to where they're going to have to air it out. That's going to – it's going to result in two things. One, it's going to set either set up a Maryland in good field position with a turnover, or it's going to be an explosive play. That's kind of been Illinois' offense up late, is they're either hitting an explosive play for to put them in position to score, or they're setting up the other team to score. This is a relatively low total, and I just think that the Maryland offense could get into the 40s in this game, and all I need is a couple scores from Illinois. So I'm, I like the number at 50 and a half. Yeah, Illinois circling the drain. Just Oh, yeah. The, that season has ended abruptly uh, in Champaign. Yeah. And, uh, I think Maryland, this is – I mean, we saw it last week even competitive against Ohio State, tied a half, but this is a team that they're in that, like, transition from the – 
I keep calling it like the haves of the Big Ten and the have-nots of the Big Ten, where Maryland, they kind of are the, the cream of the crop of the middle, you know, where yeah. they can beat up on some of the, the lackluster offenses because they have tally attack of a low. They have a nice recruiting class like coming in year after year under Mike Loxley. So I think Maryland's offense could dictate the dance there where Illinois not going to need much. I, I think Illinois, honestly, Maryland kind of a tricky spot after that Ohio State game. Maybe Illinois' offense could show a little bit of life in this one, just extra prep. You know, Maryland maybe after the Ohio State game, a little a little uh, dragging their feet a little bit at home as a big favorite. And maybe Illinois could, uh, early especially, maybe, you know, get an extra score or two. Pardon the pun, but with how they turtled up in the second half after they took the 17-10 lead, uh, I don't think they have anything, any wounds to lick, anything to something. Like they barely <laughs> played football in the second half. Uh, as someone who had the plus 19 and a half as my upset. That hurt. I'm, that one, I'm, that I'm one a hurt. little hurt. That yeah. hurt. That hurt. <laughs> yeah, especially uh, when you end the half not getting three points because you are out of timeouts and you throw the ball inbounds. But, hey, that's college football for you. Uh, Decision my favorite, My favorite total, Washington State, Arizona over 50 and a half. I think this is a game that you should be looking at like alternate totals. Like I, I think – you could see this total start with a seven when it's all said and done. I, I think there's a recipe for fireworks in Pullman on Saturday night. Uh, Arizona, we've now seen, we don't know for sure who's going to be starting under center, whether it's James Delora, the veteran quarterback who has anchored this Arizona offense to big numbers in the past, or if it's Noah Fifita, the freshman quarterback that scored 23 in his first start against Washington was competitive. And obviously we just spoke about USC where, what was it? 43, 41, something scored like 40 plus points, moved the ball at USC. Washington state's defense played nearly 100 snaps because of how UCLA dominated that game on the defense side of the ball. And Washington state's defense was on the field a ton Mm -hmm. against UCLA. So the chance that they're a little tired here against an Arizona state offense that is Top 25 in EPA per play, looking really, really strong over the balance of the season. Again, I don't really care who the quarterback is. They have uh, McMillan, who's a rising star wide receiver. Cowing was big down the stretch against USC. This US, this Arizona offense, I think, is has a pretty high floor. They're able yeah. to move the ball. And Washington State, when you've seen them play, what do you want to call it, above average offenses, if, and I think Arizona fits the bell of that, They've struggled. UCLA should have scored more than into the 20s that uh, last week. They had a pick six before half, and they missed two field goal kicks. When they played Oregon State, they let up 35. I mean, even when they played Wisconsin, Wisconsin moved the ball in an above-average clip against them. Colorado State was garbage time, but they got the 24. So I think Arizona's going to be able to move the ball pretty well here against a Washington State defense that is lackluster. Meanwhile, on the other side, Arizona's defensive front is not UCLA's. I think this is another breakout game for Cam Ward in the Washington State passing offense. Arizona. If you go to their coverage grade at Pro Football Focus, as I get the exact number up as I filibuster while I type it in, Arizona is 123rd in coverage grade per PFF. That is the 10th worst mark in the entire country. Washington State is all pass. It is all through the air there. We saw what they did to Oregon State a few weeks ago, scoring 38 points. This Washington State passing offense is number seven in success rate, 25th in EPA per play. I think both teams are going to cook, and there's going to be explosive plays all over the place with guys downfield wide open. I love the over in this game, and I will be laddering that over all the way up into the 70s. I mean, I love the play. This number's way too low. Um, I will say on Arizona, 
I really wish and hope that if it's a decision that Fifteen starts over Delora, because I think he actually gives Arizona a higher ceiling offensively. Um, we saw, I, I understand it was USC's defense last week, but I saw a stat that came up on the broadcast. He is, if I'm remembering this correctly, he is now the fourth Pac-12 quarterback in Pac-12 or in the past 20 years to put up uh, 300 yards and five touchdowns against the AP top 10 ranked team. The other three were Sam Darnold, Matt Barkley, and Matt Weiner. Pretty good company, yeah. That's especially for a freshman quarterback at Arizona. So, and I understand it's USC's defense part of that, but I think what I've seen from Fifteen is he doesn't. The big problem with Jaden Delora is he can make some wild plays and really lead an explosive offense, but then he can make some plays where you're like, "Brother, what did you see on that play? Like, what yeah, are you yeah. thinking?" And we haven't necessarily seen that, even despite his youth, we haven't seen that from Fifteen against two very highly ranked opponents. So. I don't know. I feel like there's more upside there. So I kind of want to see him just kind of get the reins and go with it. But I'm with you no matter who starts a quarterback. I think this total is too low. I agree. And I want 15 to start too. Cause I, he earned it, you know, like oh, yeah. what's wrong with some good old, uh, meritocracy, meritocracy in this one. Like just let him, let the kid loose. I, I oh, think a hundred percent. I think he's going to show up again in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, everyone gets Wally Pipped every now and then. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. (sniffs) And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty. Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash... Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, let's keep it moving. Let's talk about another Pac-12 game. Biggest one on the board. 
top 10 matchup, Oregon, Washington, the two renewed pleasantries after a crazy game last year. That's how Washington steal the game late from Oregon, 37, 34, and pretty much ruin Oregon's chance at a college football playoff. Obviously other things happened down the stretch, but that's pretty much it for them. They switch locations out Oregon traveling to Seattle. I think there's, there's questions on both sides of this one. I, I think, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I think it's setting up to be one of the games of the year. These are two, this is arguably the two best offense in college football. Uh, two, now Michael Penix is the Heisman Trophy favorite, the quarterback of Washington. Bo Nix is the third choice. Caleb Williams sandwiched in between them. So a lot a lot to gain and lose in this one, Cody. How do you see it? Uh, so you kind of just spelled out my handicap of it. Uh, the offenses are going to be the two best units on this field. And I have a lot of questions about both defenses. So I'm taking the over 67 uh, available at Caesars, 67 and a half at uh, DraftKings and FanDuel. I like them both, but I'll take the lower number when I can get it. Um, I just think that we haven't seen Oregon face a functional high-octane passing offense. Like, I thought that potentially Colorado could test them. Turns out that the lines of scrimmage ended up being the decisive factor in that game. Shador Sanders had to get the ball out in half a second or else he was getting mauled against Oregon. Mm -hmm. This Oregon's passing defense grades out well in terms of EPA per play, in terms of success rate but they haven't faced a really good passing offense. And like they've been exposed against the run like they were against Texas Tech with Tyler Shuck running all over them. But Washington's obviously not going to run the ball, but I think that with the plethora of high-end receiving options that Washington's going to throw at this Oregon secondary, I don't see Washington's offense having any trouble getting to somewhere in the mid-30s. And on the flip side, we know that Bo – so my one concern about the over is that Bo Nix has struggled on the road, particularly in big spots in his career. But one thing I've seen from Bo Nix that I don't think we necessarily saw all the time last year and definitely not at Auburn was he's willing to take what's given to him this year a lot. Like we, he picked apart Colorado throwing eight-yard outs over and over and over again and letting the guys do work after the catch. So I don't think he's going to force anything against a pretty porous Washington defense. Like we like we already mentioned, mm -hmm. we saw Arizona put up a nice total against him in a game that got a little hairy for Washington when no one was really expecting it. So I think Oregon's going to have plenty of offensive, offensive success in this one as well. And I think we're getting into the 70s pretty comfortably in this game. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I saw the over, so I kind of went a different route because I, I kind of I I didn't my play isn't on the side, so I do want to kind of talk about how I see this game going. I think Oregon's defense is kind of the the swing in this game because this defense grades out pretty damn good. Oh yeah, you know last year, first year coach Dan Lanning, former defensive coordinator at Georgia, the team graded out nicely. Top 30 in coverage grade, top 30 in rush defense at PFF. But uh, the secondary had too many lapses, which it, it, the the underlying metrics didn't match the numbers because they graded 109th in EPA per pass and 122nd in passing success rate allowed, despite being a top 30 coverage unit. So like where what went wrong? There was like a there's something not clicking there. But this right. year, it's starting, it seems like it's starting to click in that unit that's been a very well recruited at defense for years now. So like there's talent in the, in there. It seems like landing's starting to get the results because if you look, they're top 10 in EPA per pass this season. I know they haven't played a murderer's row yet. And Washington is in its own stratosphere when it comes to passing games, but it seems like Oregon is starting to 
get the results with landing there. It seems like the defense is a little bit further along than it was last year. You look at the other side of the ball, Washington, 112th in coverage grade, 98th in tackling. Oregon, actually, from a success rate perspective, is better than Washington. Washington is all pass, have kind of struggled to establish the run game. They're outside the top 15 success rate on the ground. Oregon, number one in success rate this entire season. So we know that this Oregon offense is going to cook. I think they're going to keep the Washington offense off the field. This Washington offense loves to pass. If the Oregon defense get a little bit of pressure, get Michael Penix outside the pocket, all of a sudden Oregon's getting off the field and looking to score more because this Oregon offense is going to get into the end zone. So I took Oregon team total over 33 and a half. Uh, I think that's my way of playing it. I agree with you. I think that this game gets into the 70s. I think Oregon's the better team. I think that they could win this game. Absolutely. That's not like a crazy hot take because like it's like lines inside of a spread. But I just think I think Oregon's the better team. And I trust their offense to get in the end zone five times. That gets you over this total. No, and I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to play this game. I I think this is going to be the like you said, Oregon's defense is probably that's a really good call with you calling it like the swing point of this game. I this to me, I'm staying away from both side either side of it in terms of you know the spread, just because I think it's a prove it spot for both of them. Like, can Washington elevate against the best defense that they've likely played? Can Oregon's defense play to the level they have been against easily the best offense that they face, easily the best passing offense that they face? So I think it's going to tell us a lot about either of these two teams. And I think what we're going to find out is that both of these offenses are good, which is why I'm on the over. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, listen, it, it's never easy to go on the road, especially in the Pac-12. There's a lot of really crazy environments, and uh, Seattle's no different for Washington. I just I think this Washington defense still needs to prove it to me. So I think that this, this is the way to attack it with Oregon team total over. Cody, I know you're a North Carolina Tar Heels fan, and it makes sense that we make this one of the segments because we also need to talk about Miami and the absolute debacle that was that end of game against Georgia <laughs> Tech. Um, for those that don't know, Miami with less than 40 seconds left, Georgia Tech at a timeout. So a knee literally ends the game. The game mm-hmm. ends. There's no need to run another play. The, game, the clock would run out. Miami opted to run it. They fumbled it. Georgia Tech recovered and two plays later went 75 yards and scored a touchdown to win. So Miami's undefeated season hopes of – you know, an outside chance of the college football playoff. Uh, we'll see about ACC championship, but it, it all went up in flames because they didn't take a knee. They now travel to North Carolina to play an upstart Tar Heels team undefeated, just absolutely dismantled Syracuse. Drake May, future top five pick in the league in the NFL draft. Cody, as a Tar Heels fan, how are you feeling going into this one? What's your look? What's your best bet? So, uh, I guess you would call it PTSD of North Carolina in big games. Uh, I am not taking the North Carolina side on this one. However, the one thing I am confident in is that North Carolina is going to put up points. So I'm taking North Carolina's team total over 30 and a half. Uh, First things first, they've hit this total in every game this season. I understand that Miami is the most talented defense that they played, but the Hurricanes defense, specifically the secondary, I mean, you know, notwithstanding the final play against Georgia Tech where the safeties uh, forgot how to, you know, stay in their assignment and got beat for the game-winning touchdown for Georgia Tech. Uh, they haven't – they've only really been tested once in terms of offense and talent, and that was against Texas A&M. And they were at home for that game, and they still gave up 33 points. I think UNC's offense is more dynamic, maybe not in terms of, you know, skill position talent, but in terms of 
schematics and definitely in terms of Drake May at the quarterback position. I think that he has a real chance to pick apart this Miami secondary, which has a lot of talent, but hasn't necessarily played well coached or, you know, well disciplined. And with this game in Chapel Hill, I just think that North Carolina is really hitting its stride. I think we saw last week. I understand that Syracuse is, you know, a solid bowl team, but not anything more than that. But at the same time, I think getting Tez Walker back really opened up the levels of that offense in ways that, might not show up for his, you know, box score line, but I think it really opened up the, you know, the rest of the offense. So I just think asking this team to get over 30 points, I think that's a pretty easy ask. Even like what worries me is that North Carolina's defense has been susceptible to giving up big numbers. So that's why I'm not taking the North Carolina side, but I think North Carolina is going to score in this game. It's not like I'm going head to head with you, but I I like Miami in this game. I I make this game like a pick 'em and I think the like a fair line is like North Carolina minus two and a half, three. And I think we are getting a little bit of a nudge towards North Carolina taking some money and being shifted in that direction because of what happened at the end of the Miami game. So I'm willing to be wrong. Maybe like this team completely folds because they're being coached by an idiot and they just can't recover <laughs> mentally. But I think the more I because I was my initial thought was like, all right, just like stay away from this game. You don't know how Miami's gonna act. But I actually think there's a few a few advantages that Miami could explain this game, mainly in the run game for North Carolina. Mm-hmm. North Carolina's run blocking is outside the top 100 this season uh per PFF. And Miami is a pretty stifling defense with new DC Lance Gidry. This Miami defense looks the part. Uh, you know, we're talking you know, top 25 in terms of overall defensive grade. The pass rush has been ferocious. Like you said, that this Miami defense is going to be the most talented defense they have seen. I mean, you look at the schedule. It's a little overrated. Minnesota is not what it's used to be. Syracuse yeah. is a cupcake beater. Um, South Carolina, we know, is not strong on defense. So I think I think Miami's defense can maybe dictate the terms. I know that Drake May is better than Tyler Van Dyke. And if TVD is going to throw three interceptions, some of them inexplicable like he did against Georgia Tech, I mean, Miami's going to get cooked for sure. But I think Miami's defense could generate enough stops and get into the backfield enough, especially with North Carolina's inability to establish a run game. I think there's some avenues for Miami to be frisky in this game and potentially pull the upset. Uh, again, it, it's asking, will this team rally and you know be vindicated and galvanized after the loss? But it's not like you're traveling to a hostile environment in Chapel Hill a night game. It's not like you know we're up against it. I don't think that there's much separating these teams. I think Miami's a more talented team. So I think there's some inflated – there's an inflated number here on the Hurricanes because of what happened. No, I I actually don't disagree with you. I have – I my bias says that North Carolina is going to win this game. But <laughs> the talent of Miami is superior top to bottom on the roster. It's just I think there's a coaching discrepancy, and I think there's a very clear quarterback discrepancy. And then you throw in the whatever lingering effects are from last week. I just think North Carolina is going to win. But having said that, North Carolina's defense again, like, hasn't proven against high-level competition that it's worth being trusted yet. So getting more than a field goal, this ha- this game has a chance to be very close within a field goal. And so getting the getting the hook on that, I I I like your side on that. I agree. Obviously, I said it. <laughs> let's do let's do some up, let's do some upset picks. Cody, 
Two, I, I personally think that this game is shaping up to be one of the most interesting ones on the slate. So why don't you tell us who you think is live for an upset? I can't be hurt yeah. by this team again. I yeah, I, I'll take the I'll take the pain that I'm setting myself up for this one uh, with for the, uh, with with this one. Uh, I'm going Texas A&M plus three and a half plus one forty on the money line against Tennessee and Knoxville. Um, like I said earlier, it's it became clear last week that Max Johnson is a downgrade, like much more clear than we thought from Connor Wegman. But I also don't think Tennessee's defense has proven in the secondary that they have the talent to keep up with your Nye Smiths, your Evan Stewart's. Like the te- like Texas A&M has a lot of skill position talent that you know we might overlook because of some of the guys they lost from last year's team, particularly in the backfield. And so I think they should be A&M should be able to move the ball. But I think this really comes down to A&M's defense. When you look at this Tennessee offense. When they've been successful with Joe, since Joe Milton took over the offense, it's been when they've been able to run the ball with Jalen Wright and Jabari Small. They've been able to establish things with the run and then set up play action, and that's when Joe Milton has actually been his, at his best uh, in this game. Well, I don't think Texas A&M is going to let them run the ball. We saw the best run defense that we've seen Tennessee play to this point was against Florida, which is their one loss of the season. And you look at it, Jalen Wright averaged 3.9 per carry, and Jabari Small was only at five yards per carry, which is below his season average. And this Aggies defense is seventh in the country in opposing EPA per run this season. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on Joe Milton. And if it's a pressure on Joe Milton, I have zero faith in him to make the consistent throws, even that Jalen Milrow made last week. I understand that Texas A&M has shown the propensity to get beat over the top of the secondary. That's pretty shaky. But I don't have faith in Joe Milton uh, without the uh, the shield of the run game to be able to consistently make plays at the level he's going to need to. Yeah, this game is shaping up to be a really interesting one. I think I'm on the other side with Tennessee coming off of a bye, and I wonder if Texas A&M, you know, we're talking about Miami, like wind out of the sails type thing. Mm-hmm. A&M has that, has that vibe potentially after the way they lost that Alabama game, and that was kind of their their shot. Yeah, I don't. I will agree with you though. I don't know if I trust Joe Milton to take advantage of the obvious weak point on this A and M defense. So uh, it's an interesting one. One I got to think about a little bit more. My play is significantly grosser. It is on Pitt <laughs> plus Ooh. seven and a half against Louisville. Uh, what's the money line here? I think it's like two hundred ish. Let me see money line Pitt. You can get a draft Kings plus 250. Oh, baby. I love it. I liked Louisville last week against Notre Dame because I thought that the spot was so grueling and terrible for Notre Dame. Notre Dame coming off back to back night games, six straight game, a lot of travel involved, all that stuff. Louisville absolutely suffocated them wins. We're now selling high on Louisville. We're going the complete opposite way. We're taking the other team they're playing. Pitt is in. I. It possibly can't get worse for Pitt. They bench Phil Dracovic, who has been arguably the worst quarterback in all of college football this season. And they're going with Christian Bullock, a Penn State transfer, lightly experienced, but he literally cannot be worse than Phil Dracovic. So I think off the bye, you got to get like some sort of bounce. It has to be like a little bit better. So that's trending up the pit offense because the pit defense has actually been sneaky still nails under Pat Narduzzi. Team is top 30 in sacks. They allow about three yards per carry. And if you remember, 
two weeks ago, everybody watched on Friday night an ESPN game against North Carolina State where Louisville's offense looked absolutely terrible and stuck in the mud, and Jack Plummer looked terrible. Was under duress, couldn't move, a lot of terrible incompletions and interceptions. I think Pitt could do a similar script to North Carolina State and ugly this game up. And totals in the low 40s sitting at totals at 46. So expected grinder here. I think Pitt's defense could dictate. And also off the bye week, new quarterback. Maybe there's a few trick plays installed. Maybe the team is refreshed coming off the bye. Louisville's playing their seventh straight game now to start the season on another road trip after, I mean, this game was, I believe it was ABC, Notre Dame. Jack Harlow was there. Donovan Mitchell was there. This was like a rocking atmosphere in Louisville. A signature yeah. win for Jeff Brom in his first season as alma mater. 100%. Well-deserved win. Are we sure they're going to get up for this one coming back the other way against a pit team that, again, it can't possibly be worse. So give me all them points for Pitt. I think they win the game outright. You're a brave, brave man because the one thing – I looked at this one as well because it seems like an obvious – I mean, just, you know, narratively, it seems like an obvious letdown spot for Louisville after last week. But, oh, my God, I feel even with the quarterback change, there's a real give-up potential with this pit no. team and Pat Narduzzi. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. <laughs> it's just beginning. The Vuelix era. I mean, it. I don't know, man. Like, I think there's a chance that Narduzzi is not at Pitt after this season, and I think oh, that's like, true. But we're, they're going to finish strong there. <laughs> I mean, like I said, you're a brave man. I wouldn't touch this game with a ten foot pole. There is no shot I would have any piece of this game. So I respect the gumption that you're taking with it. It's also CW special of the week. It's on the CW. Uh, so yeah. you know things are going to get wild on the CW. Uh, Always. Everyone, after they watch yeah. Burn Notice, they'll watch uh, Pitt versus Louisville. Uh, you know, your, River, your Riverdale, uh, Pitt, Louisville, and then Live Golf. What can you? What more can you ask for? I, I love it. I, I can't wait for Pitt to win out, right? It's going to be absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> all right. So that was, like I guess, like a little appetizer for the Sickos pick. Yes. I think. Sicko, you got screwed on your Sicko's pick last week, too, because Ohio lost by uh, half a point there. So, uh, and, oh, they had the ball inside the five, and instead of kicking the field goal while up 25, decided to go for it with their backup quarterback, got stuck. And didn't get it? No. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I know I was one in seven last week, so I don't have a lot of leeway, but let me tell you, I got screwed on a couple. No, no, that one, you got shafted. But <laughs> where, where are you going this week? Where I – Looking similarly, it seems. Definitely. So I'm going uh, – I'm giving, taking the Texas State Bobcats minus 16 against UL Monroe. Uh, let me go ahead and say that trusting the Texas State defense does not make me feel great, but I also don't see a world in which UL Monroe is able to keep pace with this Texas State offense. Uh, the Bobcats defense is atrocious. They're outside of the top 100 in EPA against the pass and uh, 76, I think, against the run. But the Warhawks' offense isn't necessarily like capable of taking full advantage of that. They're they've had two quarterbacks, Wright and Herring, this year that have played significant or thrown significant uh, attempts, and mm-hmm. they're both barely completing over fifty percent of their passes. And their offense is one hundred and thirty second in EPA, literally next to last in the country on passing plays, and they're just seventy second in the run game in EPA as well. 
And then on the flip side, their defense is just as bad. They're 131st against the pass in EPA and 105th against the run. Meanwhile, Texas State is 45th in EPA uh, per pass and 40th in EPA per rush. TJ Finley and Ishmael Mahdi are going to tear up this ULM defense pretty much throughout this entire game. And I think they're probably going to win by three scores. So I think getting minus 16 is a very fair line. I had considered this one earlier in the week. Didn't really? bet it yet, but I, it is, it's near, it's nearly making the card. I, I think this is a good uh, get right spot for the Bobcats. They had a few things go their way early against ULL. And then at the end, it kind of fell apart and they ended up losing to the raging cage and by one score. So I think this could be a good uh, get right spot. ULM got absolutely dump trucked by South Alabama. I think it was like 55 to seven. They got absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Yeah, it was brutal. All right, my sickos pick. I mean, where else would I be going? Meanwhile, bonus pick last week, Dilfer over. Guy scored 56. 56. <laughs> so my sickos pick, I actually, I'm going to take the spread. I'm going to take UAB Ooh. plus 10 against UTSA. I think the game goes over because it always does. But I actually think <laughs> UAB is in an incredible situation here to not only cover the 10, win the game outright. I, I think this is another upset pick potential here. Uh, UAB's offense is I, one of the best in the country. Mm-hmm. Alex Mortensen and Trent Dilfer, like there were jokes about how they were going to go about making this roster. They have been lights out all year. I just, listen, I know you're playing South Florida and everything, and that team is terrible on defense and all that, but like you score 56 on the road against anybody, you get like, like yeah. nice, like full credit there. UAB's offense, top 20 in EPA per top 25, sorry, in passing success rate, 30th in EPA per play, overall 19th in EPA per play. So this offense is absolutely humming. And I think we're in a good spot of fading UTSA because they got Frank Harris back last week. They scored 50 plus against Temple themselves on the road. So like full credit there. But like let's go back and look at what this UTSA defense is doing. Because they allowed 34 to Temple, who got absolutely shut down by Tulsa the week before. So Temple offense, I'm down on. I think this UAB offense is going to give them a lot of issues. UTSA, dead last in coverage grade per PFF. There are going to be guys running so wide open on the most beautiful routes created by Mortensen that (laughs) this offense is going to be lightning bolts here. I think... UAB is going to struggle to stop UTSA, but the Blazers are going to be right behind them. I mean, I make this game six and a half. So, like, I agree UTSA should be favored. But, like, this Roadrunners team is being priced still like the team from two years ago or last year when they won Conference USA. I know Frank Harris is back, but I just – I don't know if this UTSA defense is what it's been in the past. I mean, it's like kind of like a national average across the board and particularly struggling against the past. I just said – Worst coverage grade, 108th in success rate. This is not the recipe you're looking for when you want to cover multiple scores against an offense that, I mean, it's starting to come together here. They just scored 56 against South Florida. They only scored 23 against Tulane, but Tulane has a much better defense. And also, UAB was, like, really in that game. You, oh, I yeah. They ended up losing by two scores. Like, that one game was very tight. That game was a one-score game for most of it, and UAB was leading for a little bit of it. They scored 21 against Georgia even. I think this offense is cooking, and I think it could overpower UTSA, to be honest. So give me UAB, sickos pick. It's, it's basically like my segment where I just give out Trent Dilfer-related bet. 
Oh yeah, it's the you know it's the blazer segment of the week. Um, <laughs> I might but, have to like get a blazer and start putting it on for when I when I show. Oh my, my god, please do a blazer <laughs> and then a pet dragon. That's all you need, really. Uh, I mean, you know, UAB outscored Alabama by thirty nine against USF. If you really want to look at it that way, if you want to talk about how good the offense, because Alabama only managed seventeen against South Florida. So, I mean, but uh, I'm with you on your handicap. Uh, this UTSA team. There's so with Frank Harris back, there's so much of history baked into it when the situation around him has just deteriorated over the past few years. Like, you know, Zachary Franklin now at Ole Miss, he doesn't really have that go to wide receiver anymore. Uh, a couple of years ago, he had, um, uh, what's the kid's name, the running back that they had? Um, totally blanking. Uh, anyway, as well. Uh, anyway, they had a running back. And, but the other thing that UTSA always ha- or had built up that kind of ended last year was a veteran big offensive line, and they don't have that necessarily anymore. And the UAB's defense isn't anything to write home about, don't get me wrong, but if they can come up with a stop or something against this UTSA defense, they're going to score a ton. So plus 10, that's a that's a little rich, so I like this still. Yeah, I, I think uh, UAB could be frisky here. And like you said, I mean, it's a high total. It's sitting in the high 60s. So I, uh, I think UAB could be super – Super frisky in this spot. All right, and there's our show. Cody, you want to recap your picks and we get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. So early week, I have Utah State second half plus three and a half against Florida, uh, Fresno State, not Florida State, Jesus, uh, Fresno State. Uh, Illinois, Maryland, over 50 and a half is my favorite total. For the Washington-Oregon game, I'm also targeting the over, over 67. Uh, Miami, North Carolina, one of the marquee games of the week. Uh, North Carolina team total over 30 and a half. Upset pick, give me Texas A&M plus three and a half or plus 140 on the money line at Tennessee. And then Sickos, Texas State Bob Kitties bouncing back minus 16 uh, against UL Monroe. I, I love it. We're getting you back on track after uh, after last week. Uh, for me, uh, early week, I bet Stanford plus 11 against Colorado. I bet the Wazoo Arizona over 58 and a half. I also took the Oregon team total over 33 and a half against Washington. Took Miami plus three and a half against North Carolina. Took Pitt plus seven and a half against Louisville in an upset special. And my sickos pick, my gopher pick to UAB plus 10 against UTSA. There's our week seven preview. Don't forget, if you like any of those picks and you want to tail one of us, ride with one of us, make sure you're doing it at DraftKings. Promo code STB. Bet $5. You'll get $200 in bonus bets instantly, as well as every day you'll get a no-sweat single-game parlay. So, again, use the code STB, support the podcast, get some free bets and some no-sweat SGPs. Cody, it's a pleasure. Uh, I'll talk to you next Wednesday. We got a loaded slate again next week, so can't wait. Until then, best of luck on your bets, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.